Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aimed in towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! Lucy on the Tigers, banished the flick on. Gather Round Villains and welcome back to Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com, sponsored by Manscaped. It was business as usual, unfortunately, in the Cup last week as we fell foul to Man United yet again. But better news at the weekend in the league as Emery's men left the Villa faithful wanting more before the World Cup break. I'm your host Andy and today it's a warm welcome back to Craig and Dan. That's my new uh, Villa win noise. Not really. It was a one-time deal. <laughs> but isn't it fantastic? Two wins out of two in the league for Uncle Unai. And um, the sun is shining and the weather is sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is sweet. It did, uh, Uncle Unai is the best thing that's happened to Villa since, well, I don't know, since Dean Smith. Since Steven Gerrard went. The, the times are good. And <laughs> it's nice to be back on the pod before a big international break. So, Yeah, welcome back, Dan. It's, uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Good to have you. Good to have you back on. Um, it has. I've been moving house again. As, as Andy joked, I seem to move house every time Villa change their manager. I, I just like a clean break whenever we change manager. It's So Uncle Luna, I better stick around for a while, otherwise I'm going to be bankrupt. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Let's hope it's a good five or ten years before you have to move house again. Um, but yeah, well, we'll start with, uh, with last week. Obviously, it was a bit of a disappointing uh, night at Old Trafford. Um, obviously, a much changed lineup. Um, Olsen coming in in, in in goal, Augustinson and Chambers in the defence also, and and Danny Ings started up front with Watkins. There was also returns for Captain John McGinn and 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 Bubakar Kamara. It was good to see him back from his his longish term injury. Um, it was a poor first half really from both teams, and only really kicked into gear in the second half. Um, Ollie Watkins opening the scoring with with a really excellent finish, um, only to be kind of pegged back a, a minute later with Anthony, Mar- Anthony Martial equalising. Um, Bailey came on and made an impact and forced a second as as Dalot put through his own goal on 61 minutes, and it looked like there was a going to be a we were going to maybe go on and complete the the double over United for that week, but then. Unfortunately, goals from Rashford, Fernandez, and McTominay turned the tie in United's favour, and Villa faded really um, at the end of the half. Um, first setback really for for Emery, um, and disappointing to go out the cup. Um, but what, if any, positives do you think we can we can take from this match, Craig? Clearly, Uncle Unai was sacrificed the. Uh the the Carabao Cup like a sacrificial lamb to the altar of the gods of the Premier League, the all-conquering Premier League for those three points. So um, one of those things where if you win the match on the Saturday, as we did, or the Sunday in this case with the Brighton, it feels less painful. We did want a good cup run and, and the League Cup 
particularly this season, is wide open as so many of the big clubs have been eliminated already. So that is a bit of a disappointment. Um, But the positives we can take from the match is that we had some players playing who perhaps are not very good players. (laughs) And we were still highly competitive away at Old Trafford, a ground which, as you know, gentlemen, we have been bloody dreadful at for many, many, many years. Now, barring some really kamikaze stuff from uh, Mr. Olsen and uh, so on and so forth, we could have potentially found ourselves into the next round of the, the, the cup. And I dare say, had had Emery played a couple more senior pros, i.e. Emmy Martinez, a.k.a. Debu, um, I think we would be in the hat for the next round. So what the positive to take is that we... You could see the progress in the performance. And the positive to take is that with our full complement of players, we can go to places like Old Trafford. Hopefully we can go to places like Stamford Bridge. We can go to places like uh, the Tottenham Stadium as we are after the Christmas, uh, after the Qatar break. And we can be competitive and we can compete because under the previous incumbent, we lost all of the matches against the top six, we might sneak an occasional draw. So um, it's nice to have a manager again, like the aforementioned Dean Smith that Daniel <laughs> Daniel spoke into the podcast already. Shoehorned <laughs> him. Thirty seconds. Shoe um, because Dean Smith did. Dean Smith beat everyone. He beat Liverpool. He beat Man United. He beat uh, uh, Liverpool. He beat Tottenham, Chelsea, so on and so forth. I think the only people he didn't beat was Man City. So it's good that we're able to do that again. But as we say, there are there were some real horror shows in terms of individual performances in that uh, Carabao Cup tie. Yeah, I mean, I d- there's plenty of positives. One of the negatives is is it turns out signing a centre back for free, uh, a backup goalkeeper, and a backup left back who aren't very good on loan, and putting a 38 year old on the pitch is is not particularly competitive as a second string back line, especially away at Old Trafford, and yet. We were in the game for the whole, well, pretty much the whole 90 minutes. And and I think that's the most impressive thing for me is, is we put out a not very good side, really, kind of definitely the back six. And and we played really well. We stayed in it. We frustrated United first half. And Ollie Watkins, I think, scored possibly one of his best finishes since joining Villa. I don't think I've ever seen him lift it over the goalkeeper like that. And and it was a fantastic finish, the kind of thing we've been after from Ollie Watkins for ages. So it's great to see him have the confidence to do that. And I think Kamara played very well as well. And, and Leon Bailey looks like a completely different player now. And he came on and was everywhere all at once, flying into tackles, running channels. So I think there's a lot of positives. And I think it, it probably came too soon for Unai to, to really win that one. Um, but yeah, a lot of positives. The one thing I would say, there are a couple of horror show goals. And there was another one at the weekend that we'll no doubt come on to. I think... The, the Qatar break has come at good time for, for Unai Emery because we saw with Graham Potter's Brighton when you, you ask a team that's never played out from the back before to start playing out from the back, you get some comedy moments as, as we did in the second half at Old Trafford. So I think this, this international break's coming at a really good time for Unai because we might have had a few more second halves like we had had against United otherwise. Yeah, it was. Um, I remember. I think uh, you probably picked up from the group chat um, on Thursday night that I was a little bit annoyed with the performance, particularly defensively. But I suppose there are there are obviously caveats for that, aren't they? In terms of the personnel that were were, were on the field for most of the game, um, clearly, 
you know, Olsen is never going to be the sort of goalkeeper that Emery wants or needs um, in terms of being able to, to use his feet. You know, I, I think... Or his hands. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, there's a reason why he couldn't get in the Sheffield United side um, last season as well, isn't there? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it was it was disappointing, I thought. Um, but we, like you say, I think we, we, we played our part more than played our part in a really really good cup tie in the end and it was it was certainly entertaining to watch um and we scored two you know two two pretty good goals and like you say the first one um was 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 very encouraging um from Ollie Watkins we've seen him multiple times in those positions you know firing at the goalkeeper hitting the bar that sort of thing um he was very calm and he, it was almost like he engaged his brain at the, the vital moment and, and did what he needed to do. And it was a it was a really, really fantastic finish. Um, took it really well, ice cold, you know. So very good from that perspective. You know, it, defensively is where, where we're, we're, we're probably going to struggle. And I think that's going to continue a little bit because of the way... Um, players are going to be asked to play now and they might not be totally comfortable and it might be a case of new personnel being needed uh, in, in in certain situations but yeah I mean it, it was one of those I don't want to dwell on it too much really because we've got, we've got better things to, to talk about but you know just just on Ollie Watkins because we'll come on to Danny Ings later on but are you sensing that he's you know from the from the two two starts he's had so far you know, what are your feelings about him? Is he is he having a bit of a kick at the backside, do you think? I think it's a fresh start for everyone, um, most importantly. And all of the players, all the players have had a, a, a clean slate, really. And, and, and that in itself is providing a boost, as we've seen. But not only that, it feels as though dare I say lots of the players were being held back by the previous uh, by the previous administration so I think that um, perhaps some of those uh, and I don't I, I this is the last thing I'm going to say about but Gerard don't let me talk about him anymore <laughs> <laughs> but when you come out in the press as he did week in and week out and talk about moments of magic and, and throwing players under the bus of course, it affects confidence. And, and Gerard, uh, Gerard is from a slightly different era as well, it's fair to say. So perhaps players were a little less sensitive maybe in his day. But even so, you can't come out in the, in the press and, and hammer the players like, like he did and say, we're going to upgrade them, they're not good enough for Aston Villa, blah, 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 individuals, individuals, individuals. And expect that not to have real psychological impact on players, particularly those who are more sensitive. So I think that the fresh start is what we're seeing. And also, dare I say now, players are playing for their future because um, it is fair to say that I think everyone's neck is on the line. Yeah, I mean, on Ollie, I think if any player looked to be having a bad time under Steven Gerrard, it was Ollie Watkins. I think from day one, he looked miserable at Gerrard's appointment. I don't know if they didn't get along or, as Craig said, the constantly being called out in the press was an issue. But it's partly a clean slate. But also, I think with Ollie Watkins, he's he's a player that needs coaching. He's got all the raw materials, but he needs the details kind of explained to him. And, and I think not just the way he took his goal, but the way he's pressing again looks a lot smarter and, and his movement 
environment looks a lot better. And, and I, I'd like to think that's Unai Emery's impact already. Apparently, he likes to, to get very detailed with his players, kind of talking about body positions on the training pitch and, and which way he wants them to turn. So I, I hope it works out for Ollie Watkins because I hated the thought of, of him kind of skulking away from Villa, having not fulfilled his potential. But he seems to me like the kind of guy that, that would fit an Emery system perfectly and and maybe we've seen that or maybe he's just you know he needed a break from Gerard's ways and and that's what we've got a little bit of new manager bounce yeah and the, maybe, maybe obviously he had a, a very good relationship with Dean Smith didn't they so when players have that kind of thing they they're obviously going to be affected aren't they when when that manager leaves particularly as you know if you feel partly responsible for that which players should do I think if if a manager gets sacked so you know it's um let's see I mean you know January might be a telling time I think particularly if if we do manage to um to sign a new striker as 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 seems to be reported that we we're interested in that so we'll wait and see um you know what what happens with with the forwards um in January but uh you know, it's all it's all a bit strange now, isn't it? Because we kind of, you know, the next thing will be a couple of games, and then we'll be into the uh, into the window, and you know, it's it's very odd. Anyway, it anyway. is an odd time. But the one thing, the World Cup comes at a very good time for Emery. He basically gets a preseason now, doesn't he? And I think a lot of Villa players will be disappointed to not be going to a World Cup. But as a Villa fan, I'm secretly happy that they'll be sticking around and, and maybe having a few extra sessions with the new manager. Um, and I, I think they could probably point a finger, a finger at the previous administration for why they're not going to the World Cup. But um, yeah, I, I think it works out pretty well for Villa that we've got this this pre-season now for Emery to come in and, and we'll go into it on and up after what happened at the weekend. Yeah, definitely. But let's uh let's move on to the to the weekend's game and it was Sunday afternoon. Um Brighton away on the on the on the lovely south coast, your hometown, Dan. Um I'm sure I'm sure the fans had a had a had a good weekend there and uh, it was um Ollie Watkins who we, we were talking about who, who actually missed the game uh, due to illness. Um Bailey also dropped down to the, the bench for the same reason. McGinn was was back in the side again, kept his place from the cup match, uh, um, as did Kamara, um, getting his start ahead of uh, Den Donker in the midfield. And Ings also started up front um, with uh, with Buendir just behind um, in a, in that formation. Um, it was a, a really terrible start though. Um, Alexis McAllister, um, who's Argentinian, I was, he doesn't sound he doesn't sound Argentinian, does he? He's, he's uh, you know he's he's possibly got some interesting heritage, um, but um, he 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 caught Louise off guard. Um, Martinez had played played the ball out, and um, Louise was caught in possession, um, and and McAllister just fired it. Um, really well past Martinez um, in the very first minute. It was a disastrous start, although a definite sign, I think, of how how Emery will want the team to operate and how he wants to play out from from the back. What are your thoughts on this? And and also, um, do you think it was a foul on Louise, Craig? I do think it's a foul. Now, I may be looking through this through my claret and blue tinted <laughs> spectacles. Um, but to me, uh, McAllister doesn't play the ball. He plays the man. Uh, I don't believe he gets a touch on the ball. Louise goes down. It is it, it is soft. 
But um, McAllister hasn't touched the ball, at least from the angles that I've seen on the television. And um, I, I and I only had two beers at that point, so I was relatively <laughs> fine. Um, but in all seriousness, I think that there is a there is a there is a probability here that this will happen more um, before it starts to get better. Um, we've seen with other managers that implement a, a, a similar style. We saw with uh, Klopp is probably the most famous example because it's, it was Liverpool with uh, Simon Mignolet and then Carius. They were conceding goals for fun in the beginning um, and it took actually a season or two for that to become for to be for that to become really second nature to them and for them to stop conceding stupid goals and even now and then they still concede stupid goals from it so th- there is going to have to be some patience it is going to be uh, practice makes perfect for the existing personnel andy as you mentioned earlier there could be some new personnel to help with that this is certainly a style which is going to suit diego carlos um, should he return in one piece from his terrible injury so we do have that to look forward to and um, mings and Conser both have looked better at it um, generally speaking, in the last game or two, um, than they have at any point in in in, in the previous uh, time. So, I think it was a foul, but it 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 wasn't given. The goal stood, and this is, I'm afraid, something that we're going to have to get used to. So, what we might have to do is pause the Aston Villa goal giveaway club <laughs> while the players get used to this, because again, I do think we might see a little bit more of it. Um, I think we might have to take. A, one step back to take two steps forward with this uh, playing out from the back stuff. Yeah, that's I agree. very gracious of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree entirely with Craig. Like, we're going to see a bit more of this. It's not easy to learn to play out from the back. And, and for me, it wasn't a foul. For me, it was soft, and, and Dougie had switched off. But one thing I would say is that Brighton are possibly one of the best pressing teams in the league. They've been doing it for a couple of seasons now. They'll force better teams than us into mistakes, and and they. The, the playing out from the back isn't as simple as you just pass out from the back. You need set patterns of play, and they forced us to to play it to the fullbacks who had to play it back inside and then play dangerous balls into the midfield. But one thing I was impressed by is that we we not only kept playing out from the back, we didn't lose our bottle, but second half, Emery changed it so that they couldn't make it so easy to trap us in the midfield, and we didn't see that mistake happen again. So within a 90-minute match, we already saw the impact that the manager can have just by changing the, the pattern that we're playing out from the back. But yeah, it was soft from Dougie for me, but he more than made up for it by, I think, tackling McAllister on the edge of the box later in the game and, and getting a goal for us. So there was a nice little bit of... Of, of symmetry to that, that that he managed to to amend for his mistakes. Particularly enjoyed the clip of Louise screaming in McAllister's face in celebration. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. the kind of pettiness I can get right behind. <laughs> Louise yeah, is getting a little that was bit it. chirpy, isn't he? Like he's always been a bit chirpy, but it, look, the Mitrovic incident, him and Fernandez had a little bit of something, didn't they? The other day, it's uh, it's he's getting very chippy at the I moment. I think what we forget is he came to us as a kid. He was a twenty. 20, 21-year-old, playing in the Premier League for the first time, uh, just been relegated in Spain, and he's being tasked with marshalling a Premier League midfield, initially containing the likes of Nakamba, Harahan, and Henry Lansbury. It wasn't an easy task, dare I say, for Douglas Louise. Uh, and 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 he's now moving into his mid-20s and becoming the, the Rolls-Royce of a player we always knew he could be. But um, yeah, he's, he's becoming... 
I think a bit more of a cult favorite now. I've always loved him, and now it seems that um, he's 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 really he's really taking on taking his career to the next level now. And uh, long may it continue at Aston Villa. Yeah, I was gonna. We might as well um, stay with Douglas Louise then, because I'm quite interested in in him as a player. Because like you, I've I've always been impressed with him, and particularly that period after restart, after the COVID restart, um, right up until the Christmas when. We then had a COVID outbreak and there was a, a two-week pause. He was probably our most influential player, playing in the number six role. Really, really good. But I think at times he's he's struggled since then to really kind of sort of make his mark and and, and hold down his position. And, and obviously people have said he's he was playing kind of out of position and particularly as, as Steven Gerrard's number six, he was... He was not not suited to that role at all, and in a sense, he was kind of replaced in the summer with Bubakar Kamara. They, Kamara was was brought in clearly to play the number six role um, with Douglas Luiz presumably moving forward, but it, it certainly didn't start like that. He wasn't playing um, initially. Um, he's had all that all that interest in him. Um, some bids from Arsenal and that sort of thing, and then he's he signed a new contract. Now, there's lots of talk still, talk about big clubs, Barcelona and Juventus, etc., being interested in him in January, um, and I'm sure he's got some sort of release clause and that sort of thing. But where, I mean, where is he now at the moment in terms of if a if a big bid, say a bid of say 50 million, came in for him? Are you taking that bid, or do you feel he's got more gears to go into? Well, I feel as though he did a. I feel as though um, he has a release clause now, um, based on signing that new deal. So, I feel like if a Champions League club comes in he will be gone for less than 50 million. So I think, in all honesty, it's out of our hands now, um, sadly. And I think that if he carries on playing like he is playing, a Champions League club will be in for him sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah go on. I, 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 I think he can have a very, very bright future in this kind of system we're playing. I think like you, Andy, I've always felt he's a little bit caught out of position as a sole number six. He's not your classic destroyer midfielder, but but in that double pivot, he doesn't just have to do the destroying. He can get forwards occasionally. He can ping the ball about. He can press a bit higher. And he almost plays a bit like a box-to-box midfielder from deep. And I think that really suits him. And I think that him and Kamara could form a very, very nice partnership in that midfield. Um, and I think he could he could go on another couple of gears and, and working under a coach like Emery could appeal to him. But but like Craig says, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a release clause in there and, and if someone activates it and he wants to go fair play to him. But but I really think and we saw saw glimpse of it against Brighton. We've got we've got the makings of a really nice double pivot in Kamara and Louise. And I think that that that's a solid foundation for us to to build off of and to show Dougie's best talents. Yeah, I think because I've been struggling with the idea. I can't decide whether he's overrated or underrated. <laughs> and, and you know, I think at times he just looks incredible. And then at times he looks really, really kind of ponderous and like, like being caught in possession early on 
on Sunday. And I think that I'm like you say about him him being a bit a bit more chirpy in the games. I wonder whether he's really find, finding his his role in the dressing room. Whether he's starting to feel like one of the main men in the dressing room, and whether he can he feels like kind of a he's got a bit of clout and he's he's one of the the guys that we that we rely on and or should be relying on um, to be a to be a mainstay of the team. Now, I think part of the issue we're going to have is whether Kamara and Louise can play together in that double pivot, and whether they, or whether they're a little bit, a little bit too lightweight or easily got at. Um, I don't think Kamara necessarily is, but I wonder sometimes about Louise, and I don't know. I don't know. I think it might be horses for courses with, in terms of those two playing together, but I don't know. I just think it's an interesting. He's quite a. He's one of those players that I think. Some people would say, forget release clause. Some people would say, yeah, I'd absolutely take forty million for him. And other other fans would say, no chance. He's worth double that, you know. And 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 it's kind of, and and also I think playing in his type of position is it's the it's the sort of position that I think you you grow into in your late twenties more, and you you really learn uh, sort of learn your craft um, as you get older. Good defensive midfielders don't grow on trees, you know. They're hard to get, and young ones are too. And and he's had a lot of football already at this stage in his career, a lot of football for a young lad. And and I think that that can only be good news for Villa because we we get the benefit of it. But um, it's, I wonder if the new contract too not only is has kind of helped him to feel part of the dressing room, but helps him to feel wanted because he wasn't starting under Gerard, was he? And if if the board came in and offered him that contract and it was the board who turned down the bids, if if that's what we're meant to believe, then then that's a real mark of confidence that they're, they're maybe like, don't worry about this manager, we believe in you, you're going to be here longer than him. Or not in those words, but in such a thing. And it, it gives you that confidence that you're a linchpin of the side and, and suddenly you go out there and you do butt heads with Fernandez and Mitrovic or, or whatever, you suddenly feel a bit better about life. But Yeah, the the physical profile thing, and um, obviously you've, you, he's got big big daddy dunk now in there as well to, <laughs> to help him out with kind of physical physical battles. And it was interesting that Donk was left on the... Uh, can I call him Donk? Is that like... Uh, is that really the, <laughs> a, a parental guidance? Talk, yeah. It sounds kind of, um, <laughs> sounds kind of sexual. The Donk in the middle. Anyway... Um, the the main thing is with 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 Douglas Louise, and now if we're gonna get we're gonna get really into the weeds, we have a really incredible prospect coming through who's pulling up trees at QPR in Tim Orogbunum. Now, presumably Emery is going to continue playing this double pivot. It's quite clear he doesn't see um, McGinn as a double pivot. It looks like he doesn't see marvellous as part of his plans either. Didn't get on the pitch so far, even in the cup game where Emery was using the, the, the reserves largely. So if we assume the camber's out, then we're left with three players for those two positions, those two holding positions. Do we need to sell Douglas Louise? I would pose the question to you, in order for to make space in the squad for Tim Eric Bunham to come through. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, you know, that's got to be a, a factor, hasn't it? And I mean, normally I would say it's not really, 
you know, you don't you, you don't necessarily sell players to make way for young players. They have to come in and and prove they're they're worthy of the shirt, don't they? And um, you know, the onus will be on on Eric Bunham to 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 come in and you know come back from QPR and and show that he can compete with with those guys with with Kamara, Dendonka, and and um, and Louise in the mid, in the midfield. Now, obviously, if Louise does go, it, it it creates a bit of bit of space for him. But then he's got to show us again that we don't have to go into the market and replace Louise again. So, you know, there, there's there's lot. You know, the, I think it gives you a security that we've got a player like Eric Bunham that can that looks for all the world like he's going to be a a really top class midfielder and when you've got a manager like Emery who who you're confident can get the best out of people like that it's very very exciting so we'll see I mean you know he might just take the shirt off off Dougie and, and that'll be it you know so I would say the different profile of players like if 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 Emery's going to follow his template that he had at Villarreal, which it looks like he is so far, he had a proper kind of defensive midfielder and then a proper kind of playmaker next to him. And then then obviously another central midfielder out wide who'd tuck in. And I think Dougie is our only player who is that kind of deep line playmaker. So I think if anything, Irubunum is competition for Kamara and Dendonka. And, and what we need is another ball progressor in there in the mould of Dougie if we're going to play that kind of football. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's something he goes out and spends money on. But but I still think that's what Dougie can do for us. He can be that kind of deep line midfielder but that that can ping the balls, pick the ball up from the keeper and progress it. But but uh, but that's where I wouldn't be surprised to see a strengthen by buying that. Not a, not a kind of tackling defensive midfielder, but a passing defensive midfielder. Yeah, well, well, we'll see how that one plays out. And January again could be interesting. There's a lot of talk um, about interest in Douglas Louise, and we've been linked with uh, with with Kessie, haven't we? At um, at Barcelona as well. So I think, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. It's early days yet for the uh, January transfer rumours. But back to the game, and obviously Villa did come in into the game, came back strongly, and um, and responded well. With Ings causing all sorts of problems up front, um, the equaliser was 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 great, really an excellent through ball from Buendia, which found McGinn sort of running, making one of his his um, trademark breaks into the penalty area that we haven't seen for what seems like years, um, and and Dunk took him out, um, and the penalty was awarded, and, and Ings scored the scored the penalty. Um, the two, the two protagonists, though, in that move were obviously Buendia and, and McGinn. Um, Buendia, as I say, with great bit of creativity and skill to 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 put the ball through, and McGinn making that 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 bursting run to win the penalty. Um, how encouraged were you you guys by the performance of, of these two? And I'm going to say particularly um, particularly McGinn, who I thought, from what I saw, produced one of his best performances of the season the tallest dwarf on an island of dwarfs Andy 
Um, no. Um, yes, yes. Credit where it's due. I tweeted before the game. There were lots of disparaging comments on my timeline, and I, 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 I framed it as an opportunity for McGinn to prove that he has uh, a place in the new Aston Villa. And um, I think that he demonstrated a solid performance. I think that it was his certainly his best performance of the season. Again, that is a quite a low bar, so let's not get carried away. Um, he did have a really strong battling performance. It was really chalk and cheese from his disaster class at Old Trafford on Thursday night, which was as bad a performance as you'll see near up there with McGinn's performance at Bolton earlier this season. Um, so yeah, long may it continue. I think McGinn tweeted himself today or yesterday that, um, it's been a tough couple of months for him. He's not immune to the criticism. He's not stupid. He knows he's been nowhere near it for some time now. And the fact that, again, as I said earlier with the Watkins thing, he has, um, again, that is, also has a clean slate to work with, gives him, a, gives him an opportunity. Him being in that right-hand side gave him the opportunity to to attack and join in with the attacks. It also lessened the responsibility on him to pass the football. Um, obviously, that's not his strong suit, as we know. And he did burst into the box and and won a penalty, which is which is all you can ask for. And he was dogged and determined in supporting his fullback, and provided an extra layer of defensive um, stability that 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 others perhaps would not on on, on that right hand side. Whether or not this is a realistic thing for John McGinn moving forward to be the starting right midfielder for, for Unai Emery's Aston Villa hopefully pushing towards the top top eight and then top six remains to be seen but it is a, a step in the right direction for John McGinn and congratulations to him for um for starting the 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 long road toward redemption hopefully yeah, I mean, I was surprised seeing McGinn in, in the talk for man on a match. I thought he, he huffed and puffed and, and got into some good areas. But again, his passing kind of let him down a little bit and his tackling on occasion. I think he's very much playing for his Aston Villa career now. I, I love John McGinn, but I think that we might be moving past him. And I think that if he's got a future in an Unai Emery team, it is in that wide position. I mean, Emery turned... Uh, Coquelin, who formerly of Arsenal, into a wide midfielder who who kind of cut inside and tucked in, and that would suit McGinn. But um, but yeah, the player I want to focus on is Buendia. Who I thought had one of his best games as as a Villa player. I think we're starting to see see why we spent thirty eight million club record money on him, and the through ball was just beautiful, absolutely inch perfect. One of those just lovely through balls you don't often see anymore from the number 10 position. And and I think he looks really good in that position. He gets to use his, his energy and his work rate to press, but gets to drop off and find space between the lines. So I'm really excited to see what, what we get from Buendia because I know... You know, we've not seen the best of him so far. I know, Andy, you've been wanting to see a lot more from him, but I thought this was a really good performance, and he made that goal. I mean, it was McGinn's run, sure, but the, the through ball was just delicious. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, yeah, I've, 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 I will hold my hands up and say I think the hype around Buendia has been really, really odd. I, I understand that, um, you know, people feel that, you know, he was perhaps. Um, hard done by when Coutinho came in and obviously got picked automatically a- ahead of him. Um, but I don't think he did himself any fa- any favours before that, really. And I, and I think 
he's had flashes, and you ha- he's, there have been times where you know you see a quality footballer there. It's just how it glues together within the side, and again, this might not be his fault. You know, this might we might see now that actually, you know, when you like with with all the other players, if you give them um, roles and responsibilities which suit their their skill set, you see them thrive in the team. And Wendy has played two slightly different positions so far, I think, under Emery, hasn't he? And yeah, he, he certainly. He was he, he was a little bit off against United, gave the ball away quite a lot, um, but but it certainly seemed better in the in the in the Brighton game, and maybe that is his position. But I think he's going to struggle there because I don't think necessarily he's going to be a first choice in the front two when everyone is is available, and particularly if we do sign another striker or another forward. So um, yeah, he might have to he might have to make himself a little bit more useful generally around that. That kind of front four, if you like, um, you know the two wide areas and 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 the, you know the front two. So, um, but yeah, I mean, just all it's great to have these options and and players sort of stepping up. And whether McGinn is playing for his his Aston Villa future, I think I think a lot of them are. And the, my main thing with McGinn is I don't want him to leave on a downer. It's really important to me, <laughs> um, as someone who who absolutely hundred percent appreciates everything he's done for the club. That when he does leave, and he probably will reasonably soon, um, that he goes on a bit of a high and playing well, you know, and he can maybe, you know, have a bit of. He's not just being shunted out to another club on loan or whatever, he's, he's actually making a proper move that he wants to make. And, you know, that's that's quite important. And leaving with our, you know, best wishes. But at the same time, if he does start to produce what he could potentially produce, he might be very important to the, the team and the squad going forward. So, you know, everything's on the table, isn't it? But um, It'll also depend on, on, on John McGinn. Um does he want to be a if assuming that he's a squad player now at Aston Villa? Um, does he want to be that, or does he want to go somewhere where he's the first name on the team sheet? So it's also down to him as well. And and sometimes you you talk about leaving under a cloud or anything. Sometimes it's just people just need a change of scenery. Um, I will hold my hands up and, and thought that was the case with Konza when we saw him badly struggling. I thought. You know, maybe he just needs a, a change of scenery. Sometimes players just need to move along. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. What I have to say is that um, McGinn has some real qualities in in terms of having some unique skill sets which no one else has. But um, it's it's been a slog for him lately. It's been a slog for him lately. And um, if if anyone can can get the Super John McGinn back uh, that we had. Um, at the beginning of our Premier League run here, and of course in our promotion season, then um, Uncle Unai can. It's uh, I think that's the thing with McGinn. It's the promotion season. Him and Mings really are the only two left from that that kind of class. And I, I'm similar to Andy, and I've I've got a soft spot for all of those, and I'm always going to have a soft spot for those players. And it's incredibly difficult to think of them leaving the club. 
And I don't want them to leave the club. I'd love those players to kind of take us to fresh glories because they mean so much to us. But I, I do worry that he's reached his limit and that change of scenery would be good. But yeah, I'm with you, Andy. I want him to go out on a high. I'm just not sure it will happen. I think he's... You know, the one thing that's making it slightly easier to think about parting ways with company with people like McGinn and, and, and possibly even Mings, although I can't believe I'm saying that, is is the Steven Gerrard palate cleanser has almost kind of reset everything and made anything possible in in that no one no one's bulletproof now. But um yeah, I don't want to see him leave under a cloud because he's done a lot for this club, but lately he's not done that much for us. So I, I wouldn't be sad for him to go. I want to ask a question about Palette cleansing, actually. Because I was watching the Great British Break-Off last night, and now that you've said that, I always wonder, what do they use to to cleanse their palate? So they, you know, they can discern one dish from another. Any ideas? On the Great British Break-Off specifically? Well, or just generally. General? What is the thing that when you're tasting, when you're like a food taster, how do you do that? So you're not, you know, <laughs> enjoying the taste of someone else's meal and projecting it onto the... The, the next I don't know. I barely taste my food. I mainly inhale my food as fast as possible. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like a pig in a trough, so okay. I'm probably not the person to ask it. All right, listeners, um, if you can tweet me <laughs> at Craig Storrid with your best palate cleansers, if you are in the food tasting industry, I would be eager to know because I always wonder when I'm watching Great British Bake Off, what do they do to cleanse their palate? Sorry, Andy, go ahead. That's all right. That's all right. A little uh, little diversion there is always uh, always welcome. Um, but what, I, I mean, I suppose uh, yeah, we we are going through a, a palate cleanser at the moment and uh, getting the winner um, on 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 Sunday afternoon was was certainly part of that. Um, it came initially from a, a great bit of work down the right uh, by Matty Cash. Excellent crossing. Um, to to Buendia who who hit the post with a header, um, and then as the the play kind of um, uh, kind of uh, came came back you know, through 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 the Brighton defence, um, Luis as you say dis, dispossessed the defender and played in Ings who just chopped past the defender and and slotted it in to the corner via a deflection. Um, there's undoubtedly been a a, a huge upturn. In form from from Danny Ings with four goals in his last three starts. Um, Emery spoke about the specifics in terms of how to get the best out of Ings and having having also seen encouraging signs from from Ollie Watkins and Leon Bailey. Are we suddenly whisper it quietly? But are we suddenly having the makings of a dangerous forward line, Craig? Well, uh, two goals against Brighton, three against. Uh... Uh, Manchester United last weekend, two against Manchester United, four against Brentford. Yes, you have to say yes. We are carrying a much improved attacking threat since the person I'm not allowed to mention anymore uh, departed, <laughs> and um, and we're starting to see the 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 teeth, if you like, of our of our of our of our lion. And um, with the Ings thing, I thought that was a wonderful a wonderful moment because. Lots of us have been, and I, I've certainly said it, and so have other people, because it was so bleeding obvious. How on earth you are smashing crosses in? I know Regan wants us to talk about crosses. How on earth you're smashing crosses in? How on earth you're pumping long balls up to Danny Ings and thinking that anything is going to come from that but failure is beyond me? And it's so straightforward. And, and what Emery said was was just, I mean, it's just basics. 
yeah, what we need to do is we need to give uh, we need to give Danny Yang's balls into feet. He's going to run between the try and break the the lines between the two centre halves and split the centre backs, and and we trust him to finish when we give him the ball into feet. That's what he does, and so I put Buendia next to him because Buendia can do that. I mean, <laughs> isn't it mind blowing? It's it's just comical almost how misused some of these players have been and Ings I'm not going to pretend that I think this is 25 million pound well spent or 30 million pound well spent I do not think that particularly given the fact that he was out of contract the following summer and his wages are absolutely astronomical at least in terms of Villa's wage structure Ings is somewhere towards the top I don't think it's a good signing anyway in retrospect but if you're going to have him at least use him properly, at least give him an opportunity to, to succeed. And we saw that against Brighton. When used properly, he can succeed. He can score goals. Don't ask him to do anything outside this, the penalty area, but inside the penalty area, he can do some great stuff. And he won us the game. And that's why we bought him. I think he'd probably need to score another 40 goals this season to make his, to make his, uh, or, or at least maybe another 10 or 12 this season, and maybe another 15 next season before you could say it's been a good buy. But at least we're seeing now, you know, square square pegs and square holes, and um, and 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 people being used correctly. So so credit to Ings for persevering, and credit to Unai Emery for being able to spot the bleeding obvious. Yeah, that, just those stats that you're saying about the Regan dugout is we averaged 19 crosses a game under Gerrard, and we had seven against United and now four against Brighton. Like it, it's a clear game plan to not lob the ball into the tiny strikers who can't head the ball which which seems ridiculous when you say it out loud surely Gerard should have worked this out at some point is these are both strikers who like the ball to feet why don't we try to give them the ball to feet but um and I think that's uh, Craig's absolutely right square pegs square holes and a sensible way of playing that gets the best out of our best players I think it's we've seen that with Watkins we've seen that with Ings now we've seen it with Bailey as well when he's come on even people like uh J.J. Ramsey, I think, is looking better because we're taking him out in the middle of the park and letting him just run a bit more. And it, it just shows you the difference that a good coach can make. And I'm excited that, that Emery's done this in, what, 10 days? He's he's fixed so many mistakes. Imagine what he's going to do over the next, I don't know, 35 days or whatever he's going to have with the World Cup break. But um, I I think I've I've led the charge on the Ings criticism quite often. I've, I've, I've not known why we bought him. And I must admit, I kind of had to had to have a slice of, of Craig's humble pie that he often eats on here. And, <laughs> and during that match, because I think Danny Ings was superb. He did Danny Ings things and scored. I mean, it was a really nice goal. It's a shame he got the little deflection to almost kind of take the edge away because I thought he found a lovely position and, and made a good finish. But I thought Ings was superb. And I think the other thing, it was a goal from a high press. And I can't remember the last time Villa scored a goal from a high press. And, and I think that's what excited me more than anything. We've... We've got a tactical identity and a game plan, and I can't remember the last time I possibly saw that at Villa Park or at the Amex, whereas we were at the weekend. So. <laughs> if, yeah, if, it was. It, it, I'm just going to say, if Marvelous Nakamba's the goldfish, then <laughs> Danny Ings is the blowfish. 
<laughs> Outside the box, he's a little minnow wandering around, hoping he doesn't get eaten. Inside the box, he puffs himself up, and he's ready to be spiky and deadly towards anybody who, who, who dares give him space and time. And um, I thought it was lovely, a lovely little chop, as you say, sent, sent a big dunk for a, not to be confused with Big Daddy Donk, uh, <laughs> Big Lewis Dunk for a, for, for a bag of chips and uh, slotted away nicely. Sorry, Andy, go ahead. No, no, it's, it's, it's great. And I, I was, you know, I, I love um, goal scorers. I've, I've, something I've, I've always appreciated growing up watching football is, is great goal scorers. My, you know, I, I don't know if I've mentioned before, but my favourite non-Villa player of all time is Ian Wright. I absolutely loved watching him play and all those all those strikers from, from the 90s. And I'd, everything was better in the 90s, wasn't it? But um, uh, just, just, you know, he's he's that type of player, isn't he? He's, he's, a, he's a proper goal scorer. And he has had a really difficult time. He's not been um, anywhere near his best and I'm sure he'd, he'd take responsibility for that to, to a large degree. But, you know, again, as we keep, we keep saying, and we keep saying it with, with all, every player that we discuss, if you, if, if you, if you play to their, their main strengths and their abilities, you're like more likely to get a result. This is where the no excuses culture comes in. The, the thing that Gerard talked about, but all he did was gave, give his players, loads of excuses didn't he because he, he used them in the wrong way and this is you know if you if you play to to players strengths and players have to be adaptable as well but if generally you expect um their you know performances to to be within their skill set you're more likely to get to get a good performance out of them and it's not it's not really rocket science is it it might not all fit together sometimes but you know, play to play strengths and it, it improves their confidence and their output. You know, we're looking, we um, yeah, and we're, we're looking now towards the world, the world cup. And it's like, if you have, uh, if you have Harry Kane and, um, you're trying to, you're trying to slide him through balls so he can outpace the center back, you may not be using Harry Kane correctly. It's, it's, it's so logical and so sense, so sensible and so straightforward. It, it, it is baffling, but I said, I'm not going to talk about him. So I'm not going to talk about him. What I do want to... Harry Kane on corners. Like, that's, uh, that, that would be an odd way to use it in an international tournament, old wouldn't Roy it? Hudson, yeah. Um, I have a question. This is something that really bothered me <laughs> about this goal. And I know I'm nitpicking, but please, it annoyed me. And I'm still annoyed now. And I shouldn't be annoyed because we scored anyway. Matty Cash does a lovely thing, right? And he gets to the byline. And he has two players on the edge of the six-yard box to roll the ball into along the grass. Buendia and McGinn. I think either of them score if he rolls the ball along the grass. For some reason, and I don't know why, he hits a very hard and high cross, which Buendia kind of has to launch himself towards, which is too high for him. He gets his head on it, hits the post. When Cash has got to the bind line there and he's got two players to roll the ball to, why is he smashed across like that? I know we scored anyway, so it didn't matter. But I was really annoyed. Why has he done that? I, I knew Craig would be annoyed at that. I was, <laughs> literally, as he put that cross in, I was about to WhatsApp and be like, oh, another Matt Cat crush cross, and then hastily deleted it when it went in. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it was an odd choice because we could have scored that goal a lot easier than we did. Yeah, so, I know I'm nitpicking, I know, but I just couldn't, I couldn't comprehend. I literally was screaming, "What? You, why, why have you hit that so hard?" Anyway, sorry. I, I want to ask about 
about the, the the whole thing with crosses because crosses has, has, have, have for a long time been a, a reasonable, legitimate way of of, of creating a, a chance, haven't they? All right, Big Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but yes, under Gerard, the criticism was that we played too narrow and tried to go through the middle too much. Then when he got sacked, you know, Danks came in, played with wide players. We were getting, you know, we were using wingers. And this is something that that, that, that the Villa crowd really wanted, wanted to play with wingers and, and be attacking. Now, the, the, the implication there is that you'd be putting crosses into the strikers from the wingers. So what what's the what's the thinking here in terms of not not doing that and not putting crosses in. And crosses are low percentage. Like there are low if you look at if you care about XG or anything like that, crosses tend to be a low percentage way of scoring a goal. Uh, it's why you see kind of Man City don't really cross it. They cut it back along the ground as Craig Wish, Matt Cash would have done because it's a lot easier to score that way than it is to out-jump a six-foot-something centre-back. I think it, what's interesting is Emery possibly plays narrower than Gerrard did, but he plays narrow with a plan. Gerrard's idea was to play narrow and release a full-back to cross the ball into the box. That was his only route to goal. That's the entire aim, slow build-up in the middle, release a full-back, cross... With Emery, however, it's it's trapped the opposition, forced them into a mistake, and then attack narrow because you'll have players in space. And he does it quickly and hits them on the transition. And I think that's the difference here. He He's creating chances out of opposition mistakes, whereas Gerrard's football was so ponderous just to get an overload. To, to get a low percentage crossing. So I, I kind of agree with you, Andy. The criticism of Gerard was we were narrow, but I think it was narrow without a plan. And and now under Emery, we're narrower, but there's a very clear plan to to hit teams on the break and take advantage of that narrowness. It was it was also about the vulnerability as well. Um the vulnerability from 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 getting both fullbacks so super high and then you're exposing your centre backs then they're on the half turn and we've seen uh, I think Conza got sent off and, and, you know, making silly fouls and stuff like that. Everyone pumped up the field. And also, the lack of structure and attacking patterns of play, um, which we saw, which we were beginning to see under Emery as well. Um, I think it's really key to 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 acknowledge that there, there is room for, for crosses. But if you're going to cross, first of all, you need someone who is very good at winning the ball like a big Kiefer Moore at Bournemouth who scored against Villa. He has managed to, he's a big old lad. He's going to win his fair share of, 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 of aerial duels. And he's managed to get himself, I think, three or four Premier League goals by, by doing that. Bournemouth, I think, scored three crosses against uh, Everton at the weekend for a 3-0 win. So it's not like they're completely obsolete, but you have to have the personnel to do them. First of all, you have to have someone who has accurate crossing ability, not someone who gets complaints from the RSPB like Matty Cash. <laughs> and secondly, you have to have a bit of a unit in there, a, a Calvert-Lewin, a Kiefer Moore, Erling Haaland, Nunes. You have to have someone with the, with the, with the profile, and there's plenty of them in the Pro League. Harry Kane is good in the air as well. Um, you have to have someone with the profile to convert those chances. The problem was, under the player person I'm not talking about, lots of the attacking outlet and lots of the crosses were falling to Matty Cash, who wasn't very good at crossing. 
And then the crosses are going in to two players who are not dominant aerially. And even if Watkins does win a header towards goal, he invariably heads it over the bar. And Ings just doesn't win headers to begin with. So you really are asking players who don't have the capacity to do those things and score Kiefer Moore type goals to do those things. And that is where it is a nonsense or was a nonsense with the crossing. But there is a value in crossing. But again, you have to have the right personnel and we do not. Yeah, I suppose it's when the situation presents, isn't it? Um, like Elmo to Trezeguet, all those <laughs> that's a few years ago. Even Big Tammy. If we had big, yeah. if we had signed Big Tammy Abraham, there is certainly a value in crossing. He's good in the air. He's a he's a big lad. He's he's able to out jump other people. Uh, but we don't have him. We don't have any of those. Even well, uh, yeah. We watch this. Players, watch, so. watch this space. He's not oh. uh, getting on too well at Roma. I I understand, and you never know. You never know. I like it when yep. Tammy becomes available. <laughs> I'd love to see Tammy back at Villa. The other thing I'd say about the narrowness is is Gerard was narrow in defence, so we were so easy to play down the flanks of. The one thing that Emery does, it, it's classic 4-4-2. It's two banks of four. It, well, it was 6-2-2 towards the end against Brighton. Yeah. But even that, I didn't mind. He saw where the danger was and shut it down. If that was Gerrard, we'd have stayed narrow and let those you know, Brighton wing-backs have a field day. And, and I think he defends very kind of almost old-fashionedly. I kind of quite like it. And then we morph into the shape, whereas... Gerard's shape was always narrow all of the time. It was he was so wedded to that style of football. And yeah, I mean, if I'm here for the 6-2-2, as long as we get results with it, I'm kind of all day long I'm happy to see that. Well, that's the thing, I think, isn't it? The 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 um Yeah, the the, the formation alters, doesn't it, throughout the game, depending on the situation, and, and that's what you want, isn't it? That's you know, you want that fluidity, you know, and it just feels like this is going to be entirely different now. We're not talking about playing a system. We're talking about just a you know a game plan and 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 adapting to the to to the game as it unfolds. And that's what you want, you know. And I'm 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 really looking forward to seeing what happens in the in the second half of the season. But um, we're going to have a little break there and have a word from our sponsors, Manscaped. Are you fed up of nicks and cuts when you're shaving? The fourth generation trimmer from Manscaped features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and has a 4000K LED spotlight for when you need a more precise shave or you decide to shave in the middle of the night. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. If you think that's good, but you want to take your grooming game even further, you want to hit that next level, the Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps produce nicks, snags and tugs inside those delicate nose holes. Support for Gather Around the Lamp is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Anytime that you use our code at Manscaped, you're supporting us, and we appreciate it so much. We've got an exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code GATHER. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code GATHER at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp. Um, I just wanted to ask you guys, there was another big sort of incident um, during the game. Uh, obviously, the Brighton fans were were pretty unhappy about it. There was a a penalty call for Brighton as um, Dean you made 
rather a clumsy sort of challenge. Um, what did you make of this one? Did you did you think we got away with one here? Or uh, is, I is, is Var Dennis a I mean, it's interesting. If if it was given, you could see why it was given. If it wasn't given, as it wasn't, I can see why it wasn't given. My feeling was that uh, was it Marsh? Was it or uh, Gross, the Brighton player? Uh, well, whoever it was. I'm not sure. I can't remember who it was. It yeah, was, it was Solly, Solly March. Wasn't Solly it? Yeah, March kind of steamed into Luke, Luke, Luca Dean and 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 hit him first and kind of put himself in the way. But Dean's caught him, no question. Dean hasn't necessarily got a full foot on the ball, so you have seen them given. But is it egregious and a fair and, and a clear and obvious mistake? I don't know, but certainly we have been on the the, the wrong end of plenty of penalty decisions, particularly against Brighton, when uh, Daniel Betrish's favourite player, Trezeguet, was cruelly denied a last-minute penalty in a home game a couple of years ago. So maybe, just maybe, it is a um, it, 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 it is these things evening themselves out, as we're often told they do, apparently. Yeah, I was surprised. Carragher on the commentary was insistent it was a penalty. He was staggered that it wasn't a penalty. I didn't I didn't see it personally. I, it was a clumsy tackle and, and in slow motion looks even worse but I I also thought in slow motion you can see that, that it kind of ricochets off of Luca Dean's right leg before kind of Solly Marsh goes down and I think that maybe almost saves him because there's a second contact to the ball in there that kind of means the ball's disappeared before he swipes through Solly Marsh so I, I was very surprised that people were so adamant it was a penalty because for me i I didn't really see it, and maybe that's my Villa Villa hat on, but I, I didn't really see a penalty in there. I just saw a coming together after the ball had gone, really. But yeah, I, I have to say I thought it was a penalty. With the first when it first happened, I, and and I watched it, and I thought, yeah, it's just one of those things. And Dean's got the ball away, and he's kind of followed through and and, and connected with with the guy, and you know, he's he, you know, it's one of them. But when you watch it, watch the replay. Clearly, the attacker gets the ball, takes the ball away, and Dean kicks him. And I think, I think he's, I think he's very lucky. But I think it's one of them where, as as you say, Craig, it's not a clear and obvious to to to, to overturn it either way. So had the referee given it, I think it would have stood. Which it kind of makes a mockery of VAR. In, in I mean, VAR is is an absolute joke anyway isn't it but um i it, it kind of makes a mockery i think either way that decision's given i don't think it gets overturned because it it wouldn't be deemed as, as clear and obvious um so we we're in this situation now where we want var to clear these things up um but they're not <laughs> they're just looking at it and saying well no let's just stick with the decision on the field so kind of what's the point well, not to get too into the weeds on VAR, I think it was this game, it might have been the United game, they all blur into one this week, but there was a, a corner given where, it must have been Brighton, I think Gross maybe just sliced the ball out of play, there was no no Villa play anywhere near him, and and they gave a corner that they could have scored from, because we're terrible at defending corners, and VAR doesn't check that for some reason, even though that is a very easy, clear and obvious error, but I suppose once you get in the weeds of every corner decision being stopped for VAR, the games would last about five hours and it'd be like watching American football so yeah and 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 as 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 Craig said at the start you know I thought the 
you know, their goal was, I personally thought it was a foul and, you know, I think, although it was a little bit weak from Louise, I think it was a foul, you know, and I was a bit, uh, when I saw it back, I was, I was, I was, I was a little bit disappointed that was given, but thank goodness we've got something, we've got the technology in place to clear all these matters up for us. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's very reassuring, isn't it? Um, but we'll move on. Obviously, we've got a break now until until Boxing Day, and the reason for that is the World Cup in in Qatar, uh, which starts this Sunday. Um, England and Wales um, get their campaigns going um, next Monday, um, and they're followed by Mar- Emmy Martinez and Argentina, and the the Poland um, team, which which features Matt Cash and, and Bednarek. Um, they start on Tuesday and then Dendonka's Belgium kick off on Wednesday uh, next week um, it's obviously a, a tournament fraught with controversy and a wide spectrum of, of, of reasons for that and and and, and um, problems with the whole the whole thing really not least you know the horrific human rights atrocities that that were um, in preparing the the stadia and the and the and the the areas, I suppose, for the the tournament is going to take place in, plus the the absolute despicable attitude towards LGBTQ plus um, and of course women's women's rights in that region generally. Um, it feels a bit odd this this time of year as well to be going into a World Cup, and like we were saying before, Dan, you know, it's th- this um, kind of uh, the the Premier League finishes one week and we're starting the World Cup sort of immediately um how are you feeling about about the tournament and do you think it's it's at all possible to to separate it all out and and just kind of enjoy the games no (laughs) um the reason being the reason being without getting too um kind of (laughs) too broad here the world has just changed it's just a different place and just there's been so many kind of cataclysmic events in the last few years from uh, whatever your political leanings from from Brexit in the UK to Trump over here in the US to um, obviously the, a major uh, COVID outbreak which killed millions of people. Um, it's just really incredible stuff that we're, we're seeing. And within that, you have the kind of Me Too movement, which is which has really started to change perceptions. And we're just really thinking about things as a society in a different way. And things are just spoken about now in a different way in, in most circles than, than they ever were before. So it's just a different society. I think 20 years ago, we're not really having these conversations. and We're not really thinking these thoughts. Uh, but we are talking about migrant workers. We are talking about the plight of uh, LGBTQ uh, people in 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 these um, in in some of these these Gulf states in particular, and you can't get away from that anymore. It's not shut up and play football, or let's just concentrate on the football, or as Eddie Howe likes to say in his Newcastle United press conferences, "Oh, I'm only here to talk about football." It's all well and good, but that doesn't wash anymore. It's kind of just, and and, and it's not any one thing. I think it's just the kind of a societal shift. So I think if if the Qatar uh, were, were were applying for the World Cup today, I think in this climate there's no way that they, they win because I think that our leaders are beginning to be held to a different 
kind of standard. Um, but unfortunately, it's um, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, it, it is happening. So while I will try and enjoy um, a lot, some Southgate ball and 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 I will watch the games, which might make me a hypocrite, and I'll, I'll accept that criticism um, if 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 need be. Um, it is it is going to be tainted with some of the with some of the, the the blood particularly of the migrant workers and and we'll see how it, it pans out i just hope anyone visiting um who has shall we say um differences with the with with some of the rules out in Qatar are, are treated nicely and i hope everyone gets to go and enjoy the football and come home safely yeah i think that's really well said craig i think it's I think the interesting thing about this World Cup is, is we all know football's corrupt. We we all know money talks and, and no one's there running the game for the love of the game. They're all after making as much cash they can out of it. And and this is just that in utter sharp relief. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They've they've moved the World Cup to winter. They've put it in, in a country that doesn't match the values that FIFA supposedly lives by and the sport wants to play by. And, and it's just... It's almost like politics at the moment. Is no one's even pretending anymore. It's just outright corruption and lies right in your face because they don't feel like they have to hide it anymore. And and that's really sad because the World Cup for me has always been this this lovely summer thing where the world kind of comes together. I've, I've always wanted to go to a World Cup. So you get that great thing of all the nation's fans get together and it is that festival of football. You're not, you know, there's always a bit of silly buggers going on, but by and large fans get on with each other. People go and see new countries, learn new things, make new friends. And that just doesn't feel like it's happening here. In fact, to be honest with you, it doesn't feel like a World Cup's happening at all. I'm, I've not done a sticker album. I haven't got a wall chart. I haven't planned kind of my sweepstakes or anything. I'm just not that excited. And whether that's because of the people hosting it, whether that's because of the time of year or a combination of, of the both... And what I actually think is going to happen is the tournament's going to blow up in FIFA's faces. We've already seen a lot of top players get injured who won't go. I think we'll see a lot more injuries whilst there. And and I don't think it's going to be the feast of football that that FIFA want. And I think it could do serious damage for the World Cup. And and then we have to wait another four years for one. So, you know, I know I know the football is petty in in kind of comparison to everything else, which which Craig mentioned there, but. But this is a big deal for fans, for players. It'll be some people's last World Cup of both being alive and also both as players. Like there's, it, It's a big deal for people. It doesn't happen that often. And and it just feels tainted. And, and I've actually found myself wondering as well, like, you know, what if England win? Do we want them to win this one? Like, how would we feel if England won this World Cup? Um, it was similar. I, I didn't want us to win the Euros after all the the kind of Wembley invasion nonsense that happened. I didn't want the country to have that pat on the back, footballing-wise. And I almost don't want us to, to to have the photo of us lifting the trophy against the backdrop of this this horrid kind of act of sport, sports washing. So, yeah, it's, it's a very bizarre winter. I mean, obviously, I'm going to watch all of the games because I, I love football, which is hypocritical and ridiculous. But... Um, I, I'm I'm going to begrudgingly watch them and not enjoy them is what I'm telling myself. It's my silent <laughs> protest. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the problem, isn't it? And you know, obviously, a lot of football fans. I mean, we we're you know we are hopefully progressive and 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 I suppose we'd be we'd be called woke, wouldn't we? Uh, in some in some ways, or certainly by some people. Um, and we want we want 
you know, football to to represent everyone, you know, and be there for everyone, don't we? And and for everyone to 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 be able to enjoy enjoy the game, you know. And we're we're kind of being put in this position where almost we, yeah, we feel. I mean, I th- I feel a little bit a little bit guilty for watching it, and I've wondered whether I should, you know, whether I should boycott it. I'm not sure who that would help or or it, you know it's just it would just be me punishing myself i guess um but i feel very uncomfortable about the whole the whole situation and and um you know more so the you know particularly the you know the the issues with the lgbtq um uh it, you know issues and 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 the, the 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 women's rights i just think it's horrific and you know i'm i'm you know, unfortunately, you know, if 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 I was, you know, going to a World Cup, you know, I'd have, and I'm sure we'd all have, you know, family and friends who wouldn't be welcome um, at that World Cup, and and that's that's horrendous in 2022 to have that situation in football, and you know, the biggest sport in the world, you know, so um, yeah, it's a, it, it's horrendous. It's it feels weird. It feels like it's been shoehorned in as well you know to line people's pockets so they they didn't have to go back on once it became clear that it wasn't possible it wouldn't be possible to play competitive sport in that climate in the summer you know they've had to shoehorn it in rather than saying well actually we've made a mistake pay everyone's money back and um and we'll 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 host it in europe or or somewhere else you know so it's um it's totally unsatisfactory. Um, having said that, yeah, I'll 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 watch the games, and it, it might pick up. It might, you know, it might it might be a good tournament, but I just want it done and over with, really. Um, now, and and we can start moving ahead and trying to be a bit pro- bit more progressive as a as a sport. I think. Yeah, it's um, it, it is tricky, and and there will be people um, listening. I'm sure that are like. Uh all right, all right, lads. I tune into this for <laughs> Aston Villa chat, not 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 political stuff. But this is this is kind of where we are. They're, they're tied together, and one of the reasons that they're tied together is because of projects like Manchester City, because of projects like Newcastle United, because of projects like PSG, because of 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 um, of, of nation states in, in those instances who have used sport as a way to, as, as Dan said, sports wash and clean their image. Um, it's called soft power and, and it works. Uh, you can weaponize a whole, a whole steam of people against your, um, your, a, a, a whole slew of people, should I say, rather than a steam of people. You can weaponize a whole slew of people, um, against any of your, 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 your critics by funding, sports teams and football teams and, and franchises over the world. So it's a very effective thing. It works. And and these the sport is tied into that now. They are intertwined. So there isn't one without the other. Um, and that's just kind of how it is. But having said that, the, the players, the fans, the patriotism, the pageantry, and the excitement will still be very real. Uh, I'm particularly looking forward to Black Friday here because it is USA versus uh, versus England, and that's going to be a big, big old day here in uh, in Philadelphia. So um, 
we're making plans with our with our American and our English friends to to do something. So there is still that inside of it, inside of all the ugliness, all the corruption, all the money. There is still community, and we are a community as football fans. We're a community on this podcast. Everyone, all of you listening out there, are part of the Aston Villa community, and it does bring people together. So. Inside of all of the nonsense, there is still some some love in there without trying to get too hippy dippy. Yeah, and maybe that's something that can come out of it. Maybe, maybe you know, we we can show the despicable regimes that are at the heart of this um, hosting this event. You know, that we don't accept it, and that we 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 want them to think differently, and maybe show them up for the the awful human beings they are, and hopefully. Uh, you know that that could be something that comes out of it, maybe. Um, but um, but we'll see. What, just a quick word before we finish on England. Um, the squad was out last week. They obviously start against Iran on on Monday. How how are you feeling about it? Uh, Dan, <laughs> I I'm not feeling entirely confident. It feels to me like one of those groups that we're going to limp over the line of. It's kind of ironic. This is my first World Cup since becoming a dual citizen. So I have two countries to cheer for in in Canada and England. And I've got zero hopes for both countries. So I I get twice the disappointment (laughs) this time round. Yeah, I'm quite fortunate because I've got... um, It's Wales' first World Cup and I am half Welsh. I've always supported England. Um... Obviously, but I'm very excited about Wales being in the World Cup and uh, obviously in the same group as well as you England. You two don't get to abandon England now just because it looks like we're going to be terrible. <laughs> um, no. Well, I have an American child now. Does that mean I can support America? No, I'm joking. I want to, <laughs> to support England. Um, absolutely. I'm, I'm not... I, I think talking earlier, going back to our conversation about time for people to move on, I feel like... It, it the time may have passed for for Southgate. I think he's um, I think he's reached the end of the line. I think this might be one tournament too far for him and his project, and um, that doesn't take away from the good work that he's done. But I think that um, I think that we're at the end game now with Southgate. I think he's 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 done very well in, in many respects, but I think that he is now really out of ideas and and out of credibility in some ways with some of the decisions he's made in terms of. Uh, picking players like Harry Maguire, for example, who there is no reasonable person that could say that he's been one of the best centre-halves for England, either this season or last season. Um, So decisions like that really do probably undermine confidence in him. And... um, but you know, we're, we're we're hopeful. We we are hopeful. We are hopeful. But I think that uh, we may have a World Cup winner coming back to Aston Villa in uh, in goal on uh, on on Boxing Day. <laughs> that would be lovely, wouldn't it? I think with Southgate. I mean, I I, I disagree with a lot of the uh, rhetoric on Southgate. I I actually I, I regard him as you know the second greatest England manager of all time I think the facts bear that out but I do feel that um, I do feel this is his last World Cup I do feel that you know it's always last tournament it's um, and 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 if he's got his head screwed on he will know whatever happens whether he goes out in the in the group phase or whether he wins the thing this is where he finishes you know protect his legacy a little bit because I do think he has a legacy I think he's I think he he changed an awful lot of the the rhetoric and the the culture around England, the England football team. Um, I think we've had two 
excellent tournaments. Um, you know, in the the last World Cup and and obviously in the Euros, um, beyond ex- expectations for me. Um, I don't think the squad is as good as people think. I don't think the players are as world class as people think. I think we've got Harry Kane. He's a definite world class player. And after that, I think the next one's probably Sterling. But I don't think he's world class. I think he's just the, the level below. And then you've also got a lot of a lot of decent players. But this idea that it's the best England squad we've ever had and it's been horribly underutilised just isn't true because we've we've had two of our best tournament performances under Southgate. So he's definitely got a legacy, but I think it's time to 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 say goodbye, whatever the outcome really. Um you know, but I hope he does well. I'd love to see him go out on a high. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, Southgate's legacy is is very much off the pitch for me. Even and the on-the-pitch stuff has just been a bonus. But, yeah, I'd agree probably his last tournament. I mean, Gerrard's still still without a job unless he signs for Wigan before then. So maybe Stevie G for England manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they talked about Thomas Tuchel, haven't they? And I think, to- I think Tuchel's on the brink of being uh, asked to leave the, the country because <laughs> his visa's running out. So I think he's after another job if he wants to stay in England. So you never know. You never know. But um, yeah. Oh, Gerard at Wigan. They'd be, surely they'd just be better going oh. for Neil Critchley. And, it's about his level. They, That's the thing. <laughs> it, it, that just shows you, shows you where he's at. But. Oh he, oh the guy who I'm not going to mention his name, popped up <laughs> on my television during the Brighton game advertising some kind of thing on the TV. It was very strange. I imagine that the airtime was booked before he was sacked as Aston Villa manager because it seemed a little bit out of place. I forget what he was advertising. But anyway, so obviously the advertisement worked on me. But yeah, he was there front and centre with his um with maybe the world's most awkward voiceover. I'd forget what it was, but I remember him sounding less than less than uh less than delighted. But hey, you know, he's got a he's got he's got those bills. He's got he's got to make those uh make those ends meet so you know each to his own yeah absolutely absolutely we wish him well um but yeah we'll uh we'll we'll finish up there thanks guys for for joining me for this one it's been a been a bit of a long one we've covered an awful lot but it's been uh it's been very enjoyable um we may sort of pop back on at various times during the during the the, the break and discuss any issues that that, that occur or anything that we want to want to talk about so we'll try and keep keep some content going during the world cup um but thanks to everyone for for listening and thanks for joining us again this this season for the first part of it and um you know we'll uh We'll uh, we'll certainly keep things going and 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 build up to the restart um, on Boxing Day. Um, if you obviously if you want to uh, follow the follow the the channel follow the, follow the site, um, head over to the socials Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, and follow under a gaslit lamp and head to the website for uh, underagaslitlamp.com as well. Um, and if you want to pick up your Manscaped products ready for Christmas. Um, you know, go over to the the, uh, the the website there, and you can use our code Gather for twenty percent off and free shipping worldwide. That's the code Gather for for that. But until uh, next time, all the best, stay safe, and up the villa.